Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the podcast. I always like to begin by thanking you for listening to or watching today's podcast episode. I also want to begin by reminding you that the Wednesday A Quiet Life podcast is sponsored by Loader Road Goods out of Coshocton, Ohio. The owner, the operator, the chief leather man, Chris Kent, is all things Loader Road Goods. Before we started promoting Loader Road Goods, we had a phone call and he said, man, do you need anything, anything made or repaired? And I said, you know, I got this hatchet I really like and I love having a hatchet with me when I go certain places. And uh, I said, there's a button on it that just won't close and it drives me crazy. He said, let me see what I can do. Well, lo and behold, a couple weeks later, this hatchet cover arrives and it's incredible. I don't know how you make it, but he does. And it's stitched very well. The button stays closed. There's even a clip on the back if you want to put it on your belt. And this is something you can break out and be proud of and display around the campfire with your friends or you just need to get some work done on a Saturday. Either way, if you put in the discount code AQUIETLIFE, all capital letters, one word, when you check out at Loader Road Goods, you'll save 15% off your order. Men, it's time for today's podcast episode. All right, so as I said a number of weeks ago, what I want to do on this podcast from time to time is to uh, give a bit of a review of a book. Now, it's not a book report. This is not, uh, <laughs> you may find a better review of, of the book, but uh, I've said it a number of times, as I've read books, I try to share, hey, this is a good one, this is one I'd recommend, or whatever. But I also believe there's a ton that we can gain and garner from learning about people who've gone before us. I mean, isn't that, in a lot of ways, what the Bible depicts for us. These people who lived on the planet, their relationship with God, their relationship with one another, the things that got right, the things that got wrong. And there are people within scripture that you just kind of shake your head, scratch your head, do something with your head and say, boy, I, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Well, I've come to that guy, one of those guys today, and his name is Andrew Carnegie. And so I recently read, uh, I'm gonna try to hold it up here, the autobiography of Andrew Carnegie. So I, I like these because it means this person is telling you their story. Now when they tell you their story, uh, sometimes you get, uh, you certainly will get their perspective, which can, you know, again, could go one or two different ways. Um, sometimes like Andrew Carnegie does here, uh, they use this as an opportunity to um, kind of reinforce their feelings, mostly in a positive way. Uh, towards people, their perspective on things. But again, if we're going to learn about people and, and consider, you know, why they made the decisions they made and, you know, kind of what their journey through life was like, it, I think it's good to hear uh, their story. And uh, Andrew Carnegie, born in November 25th, 1835 in Dunfermline, UK, which is Scotland. I probably said that town wrong, so I apologize. Um, he was born in Scotland. He was a poor guy. Uh, his dad was a weaver. Um, I gotta be honest, I, I don't sew anything, but as I read about how, what they do, uh, it's interesting, but uh, he didn't make a lot of money doing it. And, and as a matter of fact, I wanna start with something on page 13 here, he said. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, up until, you know, two thirds of the way through this book, I'm highlighting and post-it noting all kinds of stuff that I found interesting. The last, third of the book, if you will, maybe not, maybe fourth, maybe the last fourth of the book 
it's kind of him just telling stories about people, if you will. And so at that point, it's, I don't know, it's, it's what we might call a shout out or something. But he just t- kind of telling their, st- their story and, and it's interesting. But the first three-fourths, way more interesting. Um, talking about not having money, and he says this on page 13 of his book, I remember that shortly after this, I began to learn what poverty meant. Because there was a time where his dad was trying to sell his looms and trying to um, get money. He wasn't getting much money for it. And then he goes on to say, and then and there came the resolve that I would cure that when I got to be a man. What was he going to cure? Poverty. He was not going to live poor. And he just decided, no, I am I am going to do what I need to do to make sure um, that that I don't have to continue. My family does not have to continue to live like this. And that's one really admirable aspect of Andrew Carnegie was just his desire to take care of his mother and father and work hard and, and does so at an early age. He came to America around 13 years old from Scotland, began to work in Pittsburgh. And uh, <clears throat> some of these things, I'm checking the work. I'm checking the years. Like, wow, how old would he have been? Listen, we forget a different a different day and age. You know, a 12, 13-year-old boy going off and working, you know, 12, 13 hours a day or, or more in, in not the best conditions and not the safest spaces that was not uncommon. You needed all the all the money you could collect, and so he just, uh, when he turns thirteen, begins to go go to work, and um, he he goes back and he says, I, as I look back upon the early struggles, this can be said: there was not a prouder family in the land. A keen sense of honor, independence, self-respect pervaded the household. So he has the utmost respect. Uh, for his his mother and father, but particularly his mother. So speaking of his mother and father, one thing I do find greatly disheartening. Let, let me say this, page 22. My mother was always reticent upon religious subjects. So as I'm reading this book and I'm reading about Roosevelt or whomever, um, some of the other guys I've read about in the last year or so, I look at it and think, okay, what what was their view of God? And then how was that practiced in their life? Some of them can you know claim to have a view you know, of a higher power or this the great unknown or however you want to describe it. Um, and so I'm, I'm considering this with Andrew Carnegie. What was the view? He said, uh, she was reticent upon religious subjects. She never mentioned these things to me, nor did she attend church. For she had no servant in the house in those early days and did all the housework, including cooking on our, our Sunday dinner. A great reader, always chanting the Unitarian, was in those days her special delight. She was a marvel. I, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, Andrew Carnegie loved learning. And so here, when you look at his mother, I ain't got time for that religion. I ain't got time for you know church, whatever. Uh, he admired her work ethic, and he admired the fact that she was wanting to learn. So here's an incident um, right next, the page right next to it, 23, where I say, this, this is the problem. There's a problem that, you know, his mother has no desire for church, you know, whatever. And listen, it's about Jesus, right? But I think when you get Jesus right, the church falls. If you understand the church, the bride of Christ, you understand the community of believers and how we're supposed to kind of live out. No, we are supposed to live out this acts model, you know, um, hard to do that on your own. Hard to do that when, when you don't need the church. Um, he was in the Presbyterian church and, and the pastor was preaching on babies going to hell when they die. Well, I don't believe babies go to hell when they die. And uh, I, I don't believe in infant baptism. Yes, I was baptized as a baby. I had zero choice in the matter. I didn't at that time have any sins to repent of. There was no way, <clears throat> as uh, Romans 6, 4 says, that I could be buried with Christ 
even though they dipped me in a little bit of water or threw some water on me, raised to walk in a new life, I wasn't walking anywhere. Okay, I think that decision has to be the individual's decision. I get where that came from, and it came from theology and teaching of like this. Well, your baby dies, you're going to hell. Well, let's get him saved. Again, saved from what? So his father gets angry at this. His father could not stand it and said, If that be your religion and that be your God, I better I seek a better religion and a nobler God. So he left the church to never return. I saw him enter the closet every morning to pray, and that impressed me. He was indeed a saint and always remained devout. Okay. I'm not questioning his father's salvation. I'm questioning here. I'm not necessarily questioning. I'm, I'm stating the impact that his father had on his son because here he sat in a church where a guy uh, preached something that you're not going to find in scripture. And there you go. Fortunately, this conception of the unknown is now largely of the past. He says he's not concerned about God. As a matter of fact, as Carnegie goes through life and he continues to get opportunities, and I'll touch on that in just a second, you as you have an, a situation where a guy becomes a self-made man. He's very humble to admit, this guy provided me the opportunity. This guy opened the door. I was there at this place and did this. I shouldn't have done that, but this guy kind of covered my tail, or he gave me grace here. And ironically, I never uses the word grace, but what happens here is you keep getting break after break after break, and you know, you're making money, and I made this, now I make this, and I make this. You kind of get the idea in your mind that you are a uh, self-made man. His first job was at a cotton factory for $1.20 per week. So his second job was running a steam engine and firing the boiler at the bobbin factory. He got $2 a week. I won't get into all the details of that, but when you read about the job, you think there is no way that I would want any teenager running jobs like that. I just, no way. But, you know, I think he calls them young boys or whatever, but basically teenage boys were a commodity. School was not an absolute. So if this young man can get here and he can work and, and you know, we, we, we had a, you know, this is after the Civil War. We're looking at the Reconstruction Age. And so if, if you're looking at, you know, railroads being built and telegraphs coming in and, and messengers that need to bring this message from overseas to this individual <clears throat> in this timely manner. Uh, this this is a big this is a big deal. And so as he makes money, or as he's starting to collect some money, uh, I want to use that term loosely because it, it takes a long time before there seems like there's a substantial amount of money to say, okay, now we are uh, we're we're living different. Uh, he just describes his family's resolve to get out of debt and, and basically take care of every dime. He said, uh, even at this early age, he knew what it meant. We talked over the future. It was then for the first time I sketched to him, talking about his brother, how we would go into business together. The firm Carnegie, Carnegie Brothers would be a great one. So he made a little bit of money, starting to collect it, and uh, he is uh, he's making plans. That, like We're not going to live in poverty anymore. I, th I think that's a noble thing. But you can make all the money in the world, and uh, miss it. And we'll, we'll touch on that. He says, uh, that day we celebrated. He's talking about when he got a bit of a raise. The Carnegie family was free from debt. Man, I'm, I'm a believer in that. Get out of debt. If, as much debt, if not all, that you can get out of, get out of it. It's not a Dave Ramsey podcast, but I'm telling you, you are slave to the lender. Okay. One thing that really impressed upon him 
so I'll go back to Scotland, is uh, <clears throat> at some point his father, and I believe a friend of his, they had a few books, and they essentially created a library, if you will. So people were able to go to this particular place. I don't remember if there was a structure or not, but you could go to a place and you could borrow that book and you could have it for the week. And what Andrew Carnegie talks about was just how excited he was that you could take this book home and a week later you had basically a, a new a new thing to learn, uh, a, a new adventure, a new uh, source, a resource that would open your mind to a different aspect of life. Again, when school is not an absolute, and he does go to school, and, and there's schooling there, but it, it took a long time before he ever entered school. And he, even after you get in those you know, teenage years, uh, that school's not a priority. Now, we've changed some stuff, particularly in America, so it is a priority, so you need to do that. But uh, the library was just something that he just, he could learn new skills, and he had this hunger to learn. Which is one of the ways, one of the reasons, I believe, that there are there are so many Andrew Carnegie libraries. He wanted to get as many libraries, as many resources out there because that was that was a big deal. Um, he said, "Whenever one less, whenever one learns to do anything, he has never to wait uh, long for an opportunity to put knowledge to use." So he saw whatever he was learning as an opportunity to apply it. Uh, almost directly to his life. I, I just think that's an excellent approach to lean, reading and learning. Certainly with scripture, but also with books. You can read books all day long. I've had years where I've read a, a large number of books, kept track of them, kept track of the month I read them, all those things, put them on the shelf, and then think, well, what did you do with that? Not much. Marked it down. That, that was about it. So uh, just just the idea that what we're learning, let's let's try to put it to use. One thing that I found interesting was he joined this uh, Webster's Literary Society. I don't know all the details of it, but he was the finest club in uh, wherever he was at. But all that's great. But what I found fascinating was he had these five close friends. It was a select circle, and they stuck together. I mean, isn't that the principle we try to apply today is get around high-caliber people? He saw these people as high-caliber people. And I think that's one positive takeaway from Andrew Carnegie amongst many others, but people were the value. For the most part, people were the value. In particular, respecting those people, treating them well, again, for the most part, we'll get to that later, but the idea that don't disrespect them, uh, see the people as an opportunity to learn, to grow, but also to have a community where um, you, you're, you're sharpened. Again, he doesn't find that in church. He wants nothing to do that when it comes to faith. But uh, the rest of the world, when they're seeking knowledge or information, okay, I'm interested in that. And there's a couple times where he hits on uh, heaven. He talks about God. Hey, he talks about heaven in a way almost as if like, oh, it's such a bummer that you have to have an afterlife. Because, well, again, when you're a self-made man and you, you, you're kind of pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and you make this, you make this, you make this, and every time whatever he makes continually goes up. I mean, this guy ends up being, I believe at one point, the richest man on the planet. Again, he started with absolutely nothing and first job getting a buck 20 per week. Uh, he, he, suddenly he finds himself in a position where he's, he's speaking, gives a, gives a couple rules to speaking, which I found interesting. Two rules for speaking were make yourself perfect, perfectly at home before your audience and simply talk to them, not at them. Do not try to be somebody else. 
be your own self and talk and never, uh, what's he say, never oracle until you can't help it. Basically, just be authentic, okay? Um, there's nothing more disappointing. I shouldn't say nothing more, but there's few things as disappointing as you know getting to meet somebody or getting to, to hear someone teach or to whatever, and then you see them kind of behind the curtain and be like, man, you're, you're, not a, you're not at all what I thought you were. I've had that experience with people in ministry. I've had that experience with athletes in, in all different walks of life. You meet them, and again, they're not all going to be your best friend, but you find out we're kind of putting on a show here. It was This was kind of for show. So... Uh, a really big break at 18 years old, he starts making $35 per month. He's a clerk and operator. Again, telegraphs, messages that are coming. we got the railroad going on. Um, once the railroad and all that take, takes off, at least for me, reading the autobiography, it's easy to get lost because it moves at such a lightning speed. Um, getting in the, the, you know, working with steel and all that, which is where he makes, really makes his money. But there's an opportunity for him to have this particular job. And uh, I found this really interesting. Um, I don't tell my wife a lot when I read. Down. Just she, she got her own things. But uh, this was interesting. And so there's a point where he's going to get the salary of the person before him. Well, actually, he's going to get the middle ground. The person before him and then the other person. And they kind of meet in the middle. And the guy says, if you, uh, you continue at this, I'll give you this particular salary. And again, when you think about buck 20 to where he's at now, just... Five years later, six years later, uh, and so this guy's giving him this responsibility. He says, I was at an age where I thought I could manage anything. I knew nothing that I would not attempt, but it never occurred to me that anybody else, much less Mr. Scott, would entertain the idea that I was yet fit to do anything of the kind proposed. I was only, forgive me, I was only 24 years old, but my motto was then Lord John Russell, of whom it was said he could take the command of the Channel Fleet tomorrow, so would Wallace or Bruce. I told Mr. Scott I thought I could. Okay, so he goes into this, and they're offering him a salary. He says this, salary, I said quite offended. What do I care for salary? I do not want the salary. I want the position. I found that fascinating. Again, here's a guy, not a lot of money, and you think, when you when you apply for a job, the salary is, or whatever the money's going to be, is a big deal. Where he is basically unreachable, except for his guy that he's got there uh, doing the work. So he's basically unreachable, except for one guy, I believe his name was Henry Frick, who is in charge, and this guy is a bit of a radical. I mean, he builds this massive, I think it was like three-mile-long fence to try to keep the workers out as they're striking. It was like way up high. I mean, you got people bringing cannons and weapons, and it is a disaster. And uh, basically, the, the American people at this time label Andrew Carnegie a coward for taking off. Why, why, did, he, why did he stay there? If he, has, he is loaded. He has all the money he could just get on, I would imagine, the next boat and come back over, um, but he doesn't. And I do think it's a cowardly move. Now, he does write about this. Again, it's very filtered in his, uh, from his perspective. You can go online and there's other people, and, and this is why I think it's important to read their story. I want to hear what he has to say about this. I'm not saying what he's saying is the absolute truth, and he, you know, he's going to polish it to fit him. But he, he admitted uh, of his whole life, this is like his, his biggest mistake. And, and no question about that. And I think part of that mistake, I think part of the ramifications of that mistake where people start to label you a coward or whatever, is where uh, 
he starts to give so much money away. I mean, this guy gives, I think it's like $350 million. He sells uh, his mills, he sells his business to J.P. Morgan in 1901 for $480 million. Now, I can't even comp, that's gotta be billions of dollars today. $480 million, and he gave away more than $350 million. Andrew Carnegie dies in uh, August 11th, 1919 from bronchial pneumonia. It's it's a life, man. It is it's a life that, from an earthly standpoint, that that most people could dream of. There's a lot of guys hustling, got side hustles, side business, grinding it, putting in crazy hours. Um, they'll they'll never sniff anything like this. A guy with a really good work ethic, who valued relationships over money. He he again he didn't want to be poor. He didn't want to be in debt, and uh, but he knew the relationships that he was making with people uh, would would carry him through to make more money. Now, I think even Andrew Carnegie would admit he didn't realize he'd make this kind of money. However, I think again you can become so self-sustaining that you make so much money that you believe you're a bit untouchable. You are quite a bit infallible, and you don't need God. Why would I ever need to surrender to someone or something that would say that I need to change anything? And that's the danger when you go back to, again, I don't believe what that pastor said or what he wrote that the pastor said. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe you're going to find that in Scripture anywhere. But you do see what happened here. And you do see what followed. It wasn't just his mother and father influenced him to not have a faith in God. Uh, Andrew Carnegie then in turn influences a lot of people not to have a faith in God because he's going to write this. He's going to write this and, and I knew a little about him. I didn't know all these things about him. Um, incredible life. But I'll say this, he knows now. I mean, if you're listening to this and you say, Jared, I don't believe in God. That Okay. Um, I, I can't convince you that you should. However, just consider the fact a guy like Andrew Carnegie or anyone else that who's passed away uh, today or years prior to us, they definitely know. Because if you get there and there is a God and you realize, oh, that does matter, uh, it's too late. So that I think we should reconcile that right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, turn this, turn this off and reconcile that right now. If there is a God, then you need to understand what, is, what does he want from me? What, is, what does he desire from me? How, do, how can I know if there is a God? Because there's so much information out there. There's so much learning. There's so much that can be... Uh -huh. Trace the truth. Truth precedes truth. You'll find when you get into different world religions and beliefs and stuff, you're going to come to a dead end and go, what do I do with that? There's nothing there. It stopped. You get into scripture, which has been proven time and time and time again. I know, I know, I know, I know that, that, that preacher, that pastor, that minister, that... Layman, that per, I, they're not God. They are not God, and so you shunning church or you shunning people because you had a bad experience that ain't going to hold up. I thought about this Matthew sixteen. Jesus told his disciples, verse twenty four: If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, I do think people can get to a point where they say, "Why would I deny myself? People depend on me. 
I mean, Andrew Carney, he's hiring all these people. Push comes to shove. He wasn't as loyal as he tried to admit he was. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I think there's a point where you can be so successful, you think, well, I don't got time for that. People depend on me. They need me to make that call. They need me to do that work. They need me to, um, man, I've done that with podcasting and pursuit of manliness. I've neglected, and then, you know, not make you feel bad. And I've neglected, you know, my wife and kids at times or things that I should be doing or sleep or whatever. Cause I'm like, I got to get that done. I got to edit that. I got to post that. I got to, you, you, you can gain the whole world and, and lose your soul. You can gain the whole world and lose what really matters. Verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall man give in return for his soul? Nothing. As, as infallible as Andrew Carnegie appeared, as far as making the right decisions, knowing the right people, getting the positions over the salary, eventually the salary followed, and opening the mills, and, and, and building 2,500 libraries and all the things he did, um, he was not infallible. The homestead strike proves that. But now, when he gets to the other side of eternity, you realize, uh, boy, time is finite. And everything I thought I gained and everything I tried to give away, I mean, giving away $350 million, is inc I can't comprehend it. But it's nothing in light of eternity. It's, it's, it's nothing in light of where we will spend eternity. How much time did Andrew Carnegie give to really, really deciding if there is a God, if Jesus is real, um, if, if the scriptures are true? I don't know. I don't get to determine that, and I don't get to determine people's salvation. But I'll tell you, when I walk away from this book, um, I'm torn. I'm torn because there's so much, there's so much you could take from this guy's life and say that is applicable. That's a mindset that I need to develop. That that's an approach that I need to consider. Valuing people, valuing the opportunity to to lead people or to provide for people. To, to remain debt-free, to give money away. There's so much good, but there, I keep going back to that. But man, if you do all that and you miss Jesus, yeah, man, you've missed it all. So man, consider that. I'm not saying you got to buy the book. I'm just telling you what I read. Uh, the autobiography of Andrew Carnegie. For you guys that want to know, um, I just buy these on thrift books. I, you know, they're, they're cheap. This book here says it was $5.99. Somebody else owned it. As a matter of fact, there was a little flyer in there for someone's retirement party. I just used it as a bookmark. Um, <clears throat> I'm just I'm just reading books uh, of guys that I either want to know more about or I know very little and uh, or you know I'm also looking at different you know times in history I say I just want, I want to know more about that that doesn't mean I agree with everything that's in the book or everything an author writes or those things it's just I'm just telling you what I'm what I read and what we can apply from uh, a life lived by these guys so man I appreciate y'all listening appreciate you watching sharing the show all those things man let's keep pursuing biblical manliness.